Hi everyone and welcome to Drukama Radio. I am your co-host today, Dennis. As always, we are very pleased to have Daishi with us. Daishi, may I ask how you are? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for doing this today. I'm looking forward to a great conversation about Tumo and looking into our breathing method, which is an essential part of our practice. All right. So I will start with the most obvious question. What is Tumo? Tumo is a Tibetan word that describes a kind of inner heat that's generated when two particular kinds of energies come together or kiss or touch or commingle. So Tumo really just means a blissful kind of warmth that's generated from the fire and water kinds of elements, if we were to simplify it. So when you have these two elements and we purposely put them together, and sometimes this happens accidentally as well, but when we purposely put them together, these two create sort of this union of blissful warmth within the body. And that Tumo, sometimes called Chandali or Chandali, which also, by the way, means fierce woman, because when you've put fire under water, water being the woman, she steams up and becomes fierce, she boils, but also refers back to a Kundalini reference as well, which is also the serpent mother, the mother that gives us spirit. She's the Holy Spirit in Christianity. She is the yogic, all-pervading mother force. So Tumo, that word, or Chandali, or Kundalini, or life force energy, or Christos energy, or the Holy Mother, the Holy Spirit, all of these things in all different traditions, Kitsukwadal, potentially, and all sorts of other flying serpents and the phoenix scene rising up and the way that we see the dragon in the Eastern traditions can all represent a form of this kind of commingling of water and fire energies that come together and unite and create a very warm and potentially joyful kind of experience within the body. So... What are the benefits of using the inner fire that you mentioned, Laishi, and how our school in particular uses that? Well, we are a school that depends highly on inner heat because there are two forms of heat. One is inner and one is outer. The external form of inner heat or external heat is the process of bringing these energies together and allowing that warmth to radiate from the core, physical core of body temperature outward. So it literally generates a sort of overwhelming amount of core body heat that radiates through the body and allows you to experience very cold weather without any shivering or chattering of the teeth. It heats the body up. And this was important for yogis and practitioners who were in high climates and who had to sit outdoors or in the winter months when things were not as comfortable as they are today, this outer heat would allow them to keep warm and keep their bodies able to withstand the weather conditions. The inner heat, the other side of this, is a practice where we allow the alchemical procedure of creating dense matter, like dense material, and refining it back into its subtle form. And that's important because In our practice, we not only do this on the physical plane, we use Tumo or Chandali or Kundalini or inner heat in the practice to rid ourselves of constrictions or restrictions within the main channel of the body, but we also utilize it for the purposes of creating and melting 
certain kinds of subtle materials and unifying them together as well. So it's a main part of our practice. Now, of course, we also are heavy dream and sleep yoga practitioners. That's a big part of our process. And we do several other practices that are important part of that entire system. But inner heat is a mainstay. It's an anchor place of our practice for sure, because it advances and evolves the path much faster and allows us to unify joy and wisdom together, both a clear and empty rested diamond-like mind and an impartial, compassionate, joyful heart. Those two things kind of melding together to say it in a kind of a basic term. So then we're practicing Tumo and feeling the heat. Are we reaching to our energy body and increasing the total energy that we feel? In other words, are we affecting the pranamaya kosha or the energy body, so to speak? If we're talking about the different bodies, it's like I always say the good example of that is a Russian doll. So one tiny little doll is wrapped around by another one, a larger one, a larger one. So they case each other and grow outward. If you've never seen one, they're very interesting. I have one. And it's a great example of how the sheaths or the bodies or the curtains or the layers of density surround that purity in the very core center. So there are different levels, or five different levels, you could say, of these sheaths or curtains, and one being the fleshy physical body. And then from that brain body vehicle, we could go into sort of a prana body, and then we can go into kind of more of a formless mental body and a knowledge body and a blissful body or however we wish to designate those different kinds of layers. It really doesn't matter because we want to be more experiential than we want to be intellectual. But just for the use of the conversation, there's these layers. And when we get this inner heat down into a subtle action, we're affecting the pranic body or that energy body. And that's the place that we want to affect because that directly leads to our dream consciousness and awareness. And when we do practices in the dream space, in the sleep space, we're not only accomplishing things much faster there because time isn't the same. We don't work as linear there. It's more of a circular time as opposed to linear. And I can say as an example, many people have probably had a dream, you know, where they've fallen asleep for a few minutes in the afternoon or maybe sometime during the night and realized, hey, I've only been asleep for five minutes, but I've had this huge long adventure that seems like it's lasted weeks in my experience. Time is very strange when we get up into that dream playland. So we can accomplish a lot there. So Tumo, inner heat, Chandali, Kundalini, life force energy, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call that inner pranic energy, affects that body. It rises our conscious level in our dream state. And then in our more advanced practices, we go from consistent recall so that every day you wake up, you remember your dreams. And then we go into more of a vividness so that not only do you just recall the dream when you wake up, but you actually know you're in it. Then we go to another stage where you're actually conscious, where not only do you know that you're dreaming, but you can actually take full action and control the dream and it's entirely consistently. And then there is testing where we begin to have lessons and teachings there that you then perform once you're at sleep at night and that becomes your practice. Now, why is this important? Well, again, I said this allows you to move through the practices much faster, but more importantly, or at least as importantly, we have no time to do this in a layperson's day. 
So most people who are practicing say, well, I can't be a renunciate or a mendicant. I can't go off to the hills and sit in a cave for three or four hours a day. I just don't have that kind of time. I have a job and I have bills and duties. Maybe I have a wife or spouse or family or people rely on me, children, whatever it is. Or I work two jobs, etc. I just don't have time for this. So we have this entire time at night that's being unused. So we like to utilize that time that's being unused for our practice. And then we can go about our waking and seated practices in a much less intense way during the day. So we can still use them, but they don't have to be relied on entirely. Our practice through this life force energy, this pranic inner heat energy, is paramount to storing vitality in a very specific way and then recalling and remembering the dream instructions that were given through a specific kind of meditation practice, a specific kind of mental aggregate that's taught at the website. And then we understand how we can move through the path very quickly at that pace. And lastly, to finish the idea, this dreamscape has many layers, many subtle layers. There's a very dense layer of dreamscape. That's the dreams we have where we see cars and buildings and concrete surfaces. That's still the lower mind experiencing the dream state. It's in other words, we're using our brain to interpret what's happening in a more subtle realm of reality. And the only way that it can know what's happening is by referencing this world. It doesn't have any reference to explain what that world's like. And then there are subtler realms there where we begin to access another kind of aggregate and not an ordinary brain, physical brain body aggregate, but actually the prana aggregate. And that prana aggregate is like a different mind. It's like a higher mind. And that higher mind begins to see the pranic worlds in a more subtle way. And it can begin to experience them in a more clean or less projected way. And then the cars in the concrete walkway start to disappear. And the true light essence of what's there and the sentient beings show themselves in more of an angelic way rather than in the way the brain interprets, which are worldly and referenced in this lower world. So it's a whole experience. When that begins to happen and we bring those experiences back down to this world, not only do we realize how many lifetimes we've experienced here, but we also tend to let go of the minor little silly things we hang on to through ignorance and cling to through ignorance. And we begin to release all of that and realize the infinite nature of what we really are. And that brings about great joy, happiness, more fun in life, and it makes life more of an adventure. And at some point, I explained to somebody yesterday, as they're going through this process, the dream world, quote unquote, becomes the real world. And this world becomes the dream world at some point. You kind of leave that world and go, okay, I'm going back off to the dream world on earth. <laughs> and I'll be back here later. It's like I feel more permanent there than I do in the earthly realm. And it's a beautiful, wonderful experience. And it's part of that whole transition into stream entry, which is that spiritual state of extraordinary mind, that ultimate authenticity, if you will. How does Tumo help in our meditations in the beginning and in the advanced stages? So in the beginning, there are basic practices that we just want to get used to sort of changing the way that we use many parts of our body when we're waking and seated. We get into bad habits through anxiety and stress and tension, angers, and all sorts of things that come through our mind filters. And those set precedent and set habits that go on through lifetimes. We want to 
back away and undo those because those are unhealthy for us. Physically, they're unhealthy for us. Emotionally, they're unhealthy for us mentally, and they're unhealthy for us energetically. So we want to undo those habits. So the first thing we begin to do is learn how to properly breathe, and we learn how to properly hold our eyes. We learn how to properly hold our shoulders and our head and our posture and our mudras, and we learn how to get into the right kind of condition where we can feed the body healthy prana, or for lack of a more English term, let's just say we breathe in better energy, okay? Oxygen and carbon dioxide come in and out in more of a healthy way. And the subtle kinds of subatomic particles that are working there seem to influence us as we become more actively conscious toward the way that we breathe and the way that we use our will to focus that breath into certain areas of the body and so on. We can begin to revive and reveal areas of our subtle body that become awakened and actuated. And that allows us to start to begin to undo habits that would probably lead to terrible suffering in the form of short-term ailments, both mental and physical. So first thing is to learn how to properly sit, properly breathe, understand why we're breathing that way, the methods in breathing. There's a certain kind of ocean-type breathing we should use during a trauma practice. There are ways that we should sit and focus at certain points of the feet, the hands, the tummy. There are ways that we should learn how to utilize and actuate the body and get rid of the old bad habits in order for new ones to come and allow us to sort of kind of like a flintstone, create a create an environment that we can begin to have that spark start clicking against that flintstone until the very subtle, soft, gentle fire begins to build within our tummy. And that gentle fire begins to become a tool that we use to alchemically cook the materials that we have readily available to us that are normally dormant right now. So it starts slowly. We start with good basics, good foundation, and then we move into the more advanced aspects of that process step by step by step. And it needs to be learned correctly. It needs to be learned methodically. It needs to be learned one step at a time. But once it's understood and you look back on it, you realize it's a very natural very organic process. And in fact, most of the breathing and kind of movement practices that we teach, many children do them naturally. If you you know have a chance while you're doing your practices and you see a two or three-year-old, you'll notice that they tuck their belly in and they churn their belly and they'll kind of put their eyes up straight in the air and they'll kind of push their tongue out and they'll do some breathing sometime. And it seems to be fun in games like they're goofing off, but They're actually adjusting their energy in quite natural ways. And we forget about all of that as we get older because our parents don't, you know, unfortunately explain to us why those things are important. They don't explain to us how to hold on to our dream recall. They don't explain to us that the monsters that we see in the closet are probably coming from our third eye vision that's active when we're young. And, you know, we tend to just suppress all of that stuff cut it off entirely. And by the time we're teenagers, we're dead set on becoming an outward physical bound being that has lost all of its connection to its inward beauty. I know that you give a lot of secrets, tips and tricks to help us in the school, build that energy, the inner heat and tumor. But can you give an understanding to people out there listening? Where should we focus when we're practicing tumor and how important to know the exact location of that inner fire? There are many, there are probably, I would say, a dozen 
key points to really understanding inner fire. And if all 12 or so are used, then you will definitely achieve a good, gentle inner fire. And you then from there be able to carry through the rest of the path, which becomes easier and easier. Once the fire is kindled, the rest of it is pretty easy in terms of just application because you're just going to let nature take its course to a certain extent. But action leads to actionless action. So in other words, we have to start first by undoing the bad habits of how we breathe, sit, and where we focus and all of that. But there are about 12 different, maybe 10, maybe 15, depending how we cut them up. But there are fundamental understanding points, pieces, or concepts that go along with inner heat that have to be fully engaged and understood before you're going to have much success. I noticed over the years, probably the past decade or so, that most people who practice or want to generate inner heat or are looking for kundalini kind of experiences or activating the khanda or getting kundalini to stir or move are missing 10 or 9 of those important points. And so they spend years and years and years and decades trying to, yeah, do I have it? I'm not sure. You know, do I have it right? And that can just be really frustrating. So the importance is to get proper instruction and to utilize the instruction consistently and with the right kind of aspiration and intention. One of the most important things with TUMO is intention breathing. It's not just that we're sitting and breathing just like a robot. There happens to be a certain way that we can intensify, for lack of a better word, the particles inside of the breath that seem to be excited by a particular kind of aspiration intention. And we teach that too. There are also points in the feet and the hands and the tummy, and there are areas of the body that we want to focus on, and there are ways we want to focus on it. And there are also preliminary practices that we should be doing in order to get the basics down. But Essentially, with the new series of teaching, the new systematic approach that we're using, it seems to be very fast, much faster now. And I think that it's going to be something that people will see anyone can do, regardless of, you know, your level of competency and spirituality or your intellectual nature, whether you understand (laughs) different traditions or the different ideas of the occult or not. It has nothing to do with it. It never will have anything to do with it. All really spirituality in general has to do with the way that we correct our habit nature. That's all. It's really just a correction of the way we attach to the ego selfing and the problems that it causes. So we start with a slow, basic foundation practice, and then we add, 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 add. And, and, and as we keep adding to it, it just naturally will evolve and come about. I've had students that have had tumo or inner heat happen within, you know, weeks. And I've had some that have happened in years. Uh, the roughest, toughest ones have taken years to have it happen. But everyone at some point has it activated. And then once it's activated, we move into the much more advanced kind of practices. And those involve more exciting, <laughs> more rewarding practices for sure because just generating tumo can be for some people frustrating at first so now that we talk about tumo what is balloon breathing and how is it different than normal breathing so there is a great example of one of those step practices when somebody comes to the path the first thing we want to do is we want to learn how to breathe the right way in our seated meditations and it's important that we learn how to breathe through the nostrils in a rhythmic pattern, in a rhythmic way. So inhalation and exhalation are matching each other. And that we're breathing subtly but long and deep like a dance. 
gentle, but also infusing our intention in that breath in the same way you would breathe during a sexual experience or you'd breathe during an exciting movie or if you're watching dancers or if you're in a sporting event where you've had some type of joyful aspiration happening at that time. When you breathe during that moment, your breath is excited with some type of emotional, spiritual kind of energy that allows those particles to excite in a certain way. And so when we do balloon breathing, we're starting to learn how to breathe in and gently allow the compression and releasing of energy deep within the core of the body. And we're learning how to breathe past the throat, past the chest, where most people breathe, and breathe deep down into the body, through the diaphragm, and bring the prana down deep into the core of the body. And this is a very important step in the process, how to breathe deep into the core of the body, and how to retain winds deep in the core of the body. This is all part of igniting that fire. And so balloon breathing is an important, essential part of that. And not only on its own toward inner heat, but also just for health. Breathing this way for 10 or 15 minutes a day causes a tremendous relaxation in the body overall. Every cell and tendon, sinew, every organ in the body, everything gets relaxed. The mind gets relaxed because you're going to go into a parasympathetic kind of state where the body starts to just kind of let go at all levels. And just therapeutically, Mentally, emotionally, and physically, it's a beautiful process of just lying down and balloon breathing and learning how to kind of expand and contract that area of the body. But really what it's doing for us is, yes, helping you become more healthy, more stable-minded, more relaxed, but we're setting you up for more advanced tips and tricks as you go so we begin to ignite that area with a little bit of inner passion heat. And once that passion heat starts to form down there, we can use that cauldron and begin to allow ourselves to access subtle areas of the body that allow us to dream more consistently and more consciously so that we can accomplish the path in the beautiful, wonderful nighttime experiences where we don't have to worry about water bill, gas bill, school, <laughs> work, and all kinds of other things that typically come and break into our meditations during the day. How does balloon breathing help our spiritual journey? Once we get this balloon breathing down and we begin to utilize it more consistently, we would eventually change the technique slightly now that we become accustomed to this kind of long, deep breathing. We then change the apparatus a little bit now that we have more control and we begin to actuate certain points of the body down there that allow us to start that sparking process. Once that sparking process happens, a gentle, subtle kind of warmth will begin to generate and it has to generate in a certain area. And once it does, we can then utilize that warmth, like I said earlier, to begin the process of dissolving away heavy materials. And so when I say that, I mean to say that without going too far, because I don't want to drift off into stuff that's way too advanced here and would become just sort of woo-woo strange. But let's just say that you had a piece of wood, you light it on fire, the wood becomes smoke, it goes up into the air and it becomes sort of etheric. The molecules break apart and become something subtler. In the same way, we want to take the life energy in the body that's stored or held together in dense material and break it apart into its pure essence and then collect that pure essence and utilize it as vital energy for our conscious awakefulness. 
So in other words, there is a storehouse of energy that we can pull in to the body and kind of burn it up, burn it away, so that it becomes subtle and store that subtle, pure energy and apply it for conscious wakefulness. And that conscious wakefulness, when used at night, can create very radical, clear-minded dream experiences where you can get a lot of spiritual work done, a lot of evolutionary work done. In other words, when we get into the subtle realms in our dreams, we can directly influence and affect the deep unconscious mind in a much more powerful way. And so I'll give you an example. In the waking day, if I work hard enough, I can correct myself so that I don't become outwardly angry and say mean things. If I really want to, I can begin to notice and witness myself reacting to situations in a way that's negative for me and the people around me. If I work hard enough, I can stop that speech from coming out. I can repress it. I can say, okay, I won't allow this to happen. I see that it's not healthy and I turn away from it. Unfortunately, the depth of that anger probably won't go away. The residue of it will still be there. So in other words, you'll still feel the anger underneath somewhere, but you'll have just stopped it from expressing into the world. And that's beautiful, but that's not enough. We want to get to the root of the anger and pull that weed out completely. We want that karmic seed to play itself out completely so that not just the repression of the speech of anger happens or the repression of the feeling of anger is lessened, but that anger has gone. And when we're in a subtler realm, it's easy for us to get access to the subtler areas of those deep karmic habit impressions. And then we tend to that garden in the subtle realm and come and see the fruits of that here in this realm or in this world night after night. And pretty soon as we tend to that garden, clear away the weeds, so to speak, they just don't come up here any longer. So those reactions and habitual cyclical tendencies and the judgments, analysis, the undulations and abstractions and conceptualizations of the mind and the way that we see through the filters of ego are all wiped clean. Not that they're not there. The aggregates of the mind are still there. It's just our attachments to them are gone. So of course I can still get angry, but I get angry deliberately for purpose with wisdom. There's a reason for it there. Maybe that the child needs to hear a voice that's just a bit more stern, right? And then, oh, that gets your attention now because hugs aren't working. So I'm using this way. So we can attack the problem and, and come up with solutions in a more skillful way once we've rid ourselves from the entanglements and attachments to the ignorant sleepiness that we have riddled in our current state. So once we get to the source of the problem in the higher realms, that reflects here in the lower very easily. And that's one of the reasons why the sleep practice is so powerful. Can you talk a bit about how breathing practices that we use in our school help us purify and rejuvenate the body and the mind? Breathing is essential. It's one of the things that, <laughs> that if we don't do, you know, for a few minutes, we die. So breathing is pretty important. When we breathe, we're infusing the body with energy, and that energy is being converted into the way that our organs function, our synaptic process happens, and our nervous system works. It's just operating through our breath. Of course, we need to eat food and break it down in order to get excess energy that way, and we also need to definitely 
drink some water, liquids, right? We need to have sleep to recuperate. But breathing is one of the most essential things that a human being needs to do in order to have a healthy life. Unfortunately, most people breathe incorrectly. And this leads to terrible consequences in the nervous system. Our breath dictates how our nervous system responds. So if we're breathing deep, slow, and rhythmically, the nervous system relaxes and it calms. The mind relaxes and the mind calms. So the way that we breathe reflects on how our physical body is functioning. And unfortunately, most people breathe shallow to the chest area and in short bursts. And they breathe more than they should. And so if you look at it, you can say that, you know, there's 21,000 breaths a day, maybe 25, you know, 20,000. You know, it just depends on the person. Let's say we have, you know, 20,000 breaths a day. And then we could calculate that out and determine how long our life's going to be based on how many breaths we use. The minute that we start to slow our breathing down and we begin to use way less breaths per minute, automatically our life gets extended. Okay, automatically we're adding days, weeks, and years to our life. So first thing is we breathe slowly, deeply, and more rhythmically. And not only do we affect the entire nervous system, which directly affects the mind's busyness and the stress on the body, we also add life. So just those two factors alone are hyper important to living a healthy, happy, and long life. Now, there are several other very important points we can make about breathing as well. From an esoteric standpoint, the breath is the way that the physical body is affected by the pranic body, that subtler body. So once I master or at least understand how breath influences my physical brain, nervous system, and body, I can utilize breath to put my brain, nervous system, and physical body into a dormant state. I can make it go away so that I can become cognitive of a higher, subtler place where the noise of the brain-body machine is no longer a problem. So breathing is the apparatus that gets me there. And that's one of the reasons it's such an important limb of yoga, pranayama, because I have to learn how breathing will subtly take away the brain-body from me, settle it down, calm it down, quiet it down, so that I can then go investigate the subtler realms of reality. So breathing is essential. Learning how to breathe correctly is essential and learning how different kinds of breathing, some are cleansing breaths, some are breaths utilized for the awakening of life force energy, some are utilized to balance the winds of the body, what they call the wind energies of the body, some are utilized to sedate the body, some are utilized to bring blissfulness up in the body. The breath is essentially important and so One of the things that we go into in great detail, and I have a bunch of supportive materials about, especially now that we're adding quite a bit of them, are about breath and understanding all the different kinds of breath. And we go through that in great detail at the site. We talk about each kind of breath and what it does, what its benefits are, and how to utilize it through example. So these are parts of the meditative process that most people don't really understand. They think you sit down and follow your breath. And that's important. That's great. And it's a good way to start. But different kinds of breathing do different kinds of things. If I want to excite the energy at the base of my spine, at the conda, the sleeping serpent that sits there to excite life force energy, there is a certain kind of physical 
breathing practice and physical movement practice that needs to be done in coordinated effort along with my single pointed focus. And if I do that over and over again, I can deliberately kind of poke at that phoenix and cause it to rise up and wake up and move and become established and active. And that's part of that inner heat process. So the understanding of breathing and all of its forms are an essential part of spirituality. And if they're not understood correctly, you're not going to go very far. So Dukama.com is now open for limited registration. Do you have any news for us about the website? We opened, I would say about a month ago, we had a bunch of people jump into the site. We had tremendous success. We slowed that down a little bit, but we're opening back up to allow people to come in and just try the site for three weeks free. Come try it free. And then as you get used to the process, you can decide how you want to donate, if you can, to our mission. Because our cause is to continually put these teachings out around the world. And for our entire team and everyone involved to do that, we don't want to have advertising and we don't want to have co-branding partnerships and do all of those kinds of things. We'd like our members to help by contributing through a tax-deductible donation if possible. We also have sponsorship programs for those that can't afford it, but initially it's free. Come in, join the family, start practicing, get used to all the people who have been through the practices, have the tutors help you. And then as you advance more and more, you get more personalized attention because you need it at that point. And you can move at your own pace and you can learn all of the aspects of what we've been talking about over these podcasts and over the various blog articles there in a much more detailed way. So if you're looking to explore, not only rid yourself of the suffering and the sleepiness that you find yourself in, if your life's not really moving the way you want it to move, if things seem to be difficult and you're struggling, then this path will at least allow you to wake up to the fact to why that's happening and then take action against it so that you can begin to dictate a better life with better purpose. If you want to go deeper into the esoteric side of things where we're actually practicing in the beautiful experiences of the sleep state and so on, you're free to do that as well. But all of that can be done at your own pace in the privacy of your own home. So drewkama.com is open and available to anyone who wants to join our family as it's growing very quickly each day. And I love that. But I would like it to be slow, personally. <laughs> you know, I'd like one big fish out of a million looky-loos. I want the people who are more serious and who want to take the path to its conclusion rather than those that are kind of new. I just want a new technique or two. But everyone's welcome to come try it out. Come in and be part of the family for a few weeks and see how they enjoy it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Daishi. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, not at all. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it as always. And I look forward to our next talk. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please email us at radio at Thanks for joining us for today's show. We look forward to seeing you next time. Mm-hmm.